0: This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. The popularity of role-playing games spans generations of gamers from many backgrounds, but none has amassed as big a cult following as Dungeons & Dragons. There's even a Dungeons & Dragons movie coming out later this year. Joining me now to discuss the game and its resurgence in pop culture are Josh Courtney and Adriana Porciello, co-owners of Cerberus Den. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And film critic T.T. T. Sternenzi. Thanks for sticking around, T.T. T.
1: Great. Thank you. I'm glad to be here again.
0: Yeah. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. Josh, let's start with the very basics. Talk to us about what Dungeons & Dragons is. The game has been around for a long, long time, but not everybody has played it. Can you give us a kind of a brief description for folks who might not be familiar?
2: Yeah, in its most simple terms, it's a game about storytelling. So, like you just said before, it's it's the most popular, but this has been since the beginning of time, right? People sitting around a fire telling stories. It's the same idea. The difference is with this game is it allows everyone to participate instead of only one storyteller. So it's collaborative. The whole point is everyone is building the story that they're playing in.
0: And Adriana, talk to us about what changed with the game's newest edition, the fifth edition that was released in 2014. I understand it really made a difference and and tried to make the game more inclusive.
3: Yeah, I only started playing D&D about three years ago. Okay. (laughs) So I've only ever known fifth edition. And it's been very streamlined. It's very easy to teach new people, teaching kids how to play. Yeah, It's just very more open to have different options to play. Okay.
0: Josh, were you playing D&D before the this new edition came
3: out? So I've you definitely
2: been one of those nerds. I've been playing since <laughs> they were little. Um, and then just as of recently, you guys earlier mentioned the comic book nerds and movies come about it. It's cool to be a nerd again. So now it's, it's definitely here in the last few years. It's it's a lot different. So.
0: Yeah. T.T., I know your history goes back a little ways with Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, what? Tell us about when you played and what drew you to the game initially.
1: Well, I mean, I think you just heard it. It was really about the storytelling. I, I was playing this in the early 80s, so there's a... Uh... There's a part of me that when I watch Stranger Things, I feel like I'm watching my childhood all over again. <laughs> because my, my crew of friends and I, that's what we did. We played Dungeons and Dragons. We rode bikes in the neighborhood. You know, we found ways to incorporate the ideas of the stories and the adventures that we were going on in the game. You know, it became part of our lives. And, and yeah, that was that was a really exciting part about it. And, again, just that shared collaborative nature mm-hmm. was was. That was the best thing in the world.
0: Yeah. Josh, I understand that the 2018 and 2019, 2019 being the game's 45th anniversary, were just huge years for sales. Why do you think that was? Why do you think there was just such this renewed interest in the game?
2: Uh, Well, so back, uh, we'll say, let's go a little bit further back. So I think it's been kind of building. So right around 2016, you mentioned Stranger Things. This is also the peak of Game of Thrones. So they're like season two, season three. So fantasies became... Very much mainstream where everyone is it's it's not weird and awkward to do that. It's Game of Thrones is the biggest show on television, right? So it's not awkward to talk about dragons and swords and fighting and stuff like that. So it's very easy to be like, Well, there's a game we can come and play something like this. So um that's definitely been a combination of both those things. Like you said, Stranger Things, it's nostalgia for people who've been playing a long time ago, but also kids now who see that and once again go, wow, this is something I could do. I've never heard of this game or my dad talked about this game and they make it look cool. I want to do that. That looks like fun. So it's definitely brought... Young old, a little bit of everyone to kind of experience the game again or for the first time just recently. So,
0: Adriana, you mentioned that you just started playing, I think you Mm -hmm. said about three years ago. What drew you in? What made you think, oh, I want to be part of this?
3: Well, I sort of got like tricked into playing it (laughs) because we played like Monopoly, and my friends would do like game nights every like week we'd play. And it was like we played Monopoly, and it was like five, six hour games. And, of course, I would kick their butts, and then they get angry. <laughs> and then it got into, like, well, let's play a game where we're working together. So we play, like, other type of board games, like Mansions of Madness and, like, other board game-esque things that were cooperative. And then they were like, all right, well, how about we pull out the big game? And we could play with, like, Cheez-Its and Goldfish <laughs> and stuff. And we would play, like, a version of D&D that was not exactly miniatures and cool terrain.
0: Gotcha. Well, I like the fact that you're playing with edible stuff too. <laughs> yeah, you kill the monster, you get to eat it. That's good. <laughs> what did you like about it that kind of drew you
3: in and kept you playing? It was definitely the cooperative play because, like, there's always going to be like that one person at the table that wants to play the thief or the rogue, and it's just like, "Oh, I'm going to steal your stuff from you while you're sleeping." But still, like, there's always like the cleric or the paladin that wants to help everybody and be the healer of the group. That's usually who I choose to be. So, like, I might not do all the damage, but I can still make sure everyone's alive at the end of the round.
0: Oh, that's great. T.T., T., as I mentioned, there's this movie based on the game that's coming out. I believe it's called Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Um, And this is, you know, we're talking about this after so many of us finished watching a TV series based on a video game that ended last night, The Last of Us, the last episode. I was sorry to see it end personally. What do you make of this? What do you make of this transitioning from games to the screen? And, you know, what does this say about where these games fit into our culture?
1: Well, I think in the case of Dungeons and Dragons, we we need to also step back and remember this is not the first time that the game has been adapted into a film. Oh, see, I did not realize yeah. that there was a film, and I can't even remember how long ago it was. But Jeremy Irons was in it, and he—you could tell—he wasn't exactly as invested in the in the film and the role <laughs> at the time. But there's also the idea too that when I was a kid growing up, there was you know, The Sword and the Sorcerer. There were there were fantasy-based films that I remember seeing at that stage that didn't quite live up to what I had imagined in my head that the game would be or how it would translate into a film. And in part, that just, it took some time for us to develop the technology and the narrative abilities to kind of recreate some of what People may have experience with the game, and we're better able to do that now. And it feels like, from what I've heard from the South by Southwest reviews of the the, the advanced screening of the film, that the filmmakers have gotten it right. Hmm. They've they've really kind of figured out how to how you enter a world where you're talking about a game, and again, that cooperative nature and the aspect of it. And they've they've done a great job with it. I'm looking really looking forward to seeing it because, again, almost in much the same way that I've enjoyed the comic book films. It is about making sure that someone, whoever's doing it, has to have that that passion for whatever that original content is. And in this case, yeah, it feels like these guys have that real passion for the game. Mm-hmm. And if they've got it, then they're going to tap into all of us who have that same love for it, too. Yeah.
0: I think we may have a bit of a th- this trailer also to play.
1: Here's the thing. We're a team of thieves. And when you do this... You're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those enemies come looking for revenge. Truth be told, we help the wrong person steal the wrong thing didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known but we're going to fix it so well, how do we pull that off
3: uh figure it out over a drink probably best
0: Josh, does this sound like the game to you, as somebody who plays it and played it? I mean, does it does it sound like just from that little bit and a true adaptation?
2: Yeah, I mean that it about sums it up. Like we've been talking <laughs> before, is usually when it's people coming together, they got some type of quest, there's some type of adventure they're going on, no different than any other movie. It's just the the setting is different. So, yeah, yeah it definitely seems like it.
0: One of the things that makes Dungeons & Dragons such a commitment is that you have to have a dungeon master, somebody who's kind of leading the the, the storytelling. Everybody participates, but you have to have somebody who's in that role. What um, Can you talk about, Josh, what it takes to kind of put in that time and commitment to create that storyline and, and be that dungeon master.
2: Yeah. So like I mentioned before, the this person has always existed in society, right? You have someone who's been uh, the campfires, the stuff like that. So the person who just enjoys telling stories, legends of the past, of Greek mythology and stuff like that. And it, it does take a lot of prep. And I think some some players definitely respect that and the people who come back and understand. Especially when they try it themselves and they're very overwhelmed and like, oh my gosh, this is more than I thought. But at the end of the day, it really is just simple storytelling. So uh personally me, I do a lot of improv. So when we sit down to play, I have one sheet of paper with a couple words, I'm like, let's go. And we just do it off the cuff and play that way. So there's definitely different ways to approach it. One is very, very meticulous where you have it planned out like a book, and the other is Oh, that's funny. And you hear someone say something, you write it down, and 20 minutes later, you bring that up again. No different than doing like a stand-up routine. Like, oh, remember earlier when I referenced that? Let's do that now. So there's definitely different approaches to to being a dungeon master.
0: We're talking about the resurgence of the role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. Adriana, have you been the dungeon master before? Is that a role you've taken on?
3: Uh, Yes, I have done it a few times. I mostly do it for, like, new players and, like, learning how to play or, like,
0: young kids. Ah, gotcha. I imagine you have to have a special skill set to help the young kids through that whole thing.
3: Sometimes the best thing is to just let them scream at each other for a few minutes (laughs) and then just regroup Every once in a while.
0: Yeah, that sounds kind of cathartic. Um, so, T.T., I understand you are not a current player, but you have a son who's a current player. Talk about that kind of, you know, what has it meant to you to see your son get involved in this?
1: You know, it's kind of weird because I mentioned, like, my kids and comic books. My youngest was the one who got into comic books and was also the one that would we would play games together, Monopoly, Risk. We did all of this stuff together, and my wife and my son were not interested in any of it. So I was I was a little surprised, but it sounds like my son's experience is is similar to to how you guys have described your experiences too. It, in that he kind of came into it by accident. His friends group would get together once a week. They would play games, and he was kind of like, ah, "I'll try this out. I'll see what it's like." And now he is fully invested. And it, and it's really funny to me because I I haven't played in over 30 years, but when I hear him talk about it, I'm I'm feeling that same kind of excitement that I remember having back in the day, and I'm kind of like, wow, like maybe I should get back into this. Maybe I should check this out. So, kind of
0: transported back. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one more question about the movie TT. You were talking about people being just really invested in, you know, having the people who make the movie know a lot about this this game and be really passionate about the game. Talk to us too about the casting. How important is that? Because these are very popular characters, and I, I'm sure that different players, uh, different people who are, are film goers, will have very specific ideas of who they would see in these different roles.
1: Sure. I mean, I in in the first two that come to mind for me are, again, Chris Pine, who is kind of the leader of this team. You know, it feels like he's playing off of his image as, again, we know him as Captain Kirk from the Star Trek films. You know, he's got a kind of roguish kind of charm to him anyway, which I think he's going to going to do a good job of kind of playing off that. But the real surprise for me is actually Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, we've seen her in the Fast and Furious films and things like that. And she's kind of playing the heavy in this film. And I've seen her in person um, doing interviews at a junket before. And I have to say, she scared the devil out of me <laughs> when I saw her in person. So I'm kind of like, yeah, she's she's probably very well suited to uh, the role that she's going to have in this film. And I'm excited to see what she does with it. Oh, it's, okay. It should be a lot of fun for her. And again, I think being able to lean into... That part of her screen persona is going to be something that, if if it works well, I'm sure she probably had an, an amazing time doing it.
0: Yeah, um, Josh, uh, we did get an email from Randy, and Randy emails: How can a newbie get into the game? What are, What are your recommendations?
2: Um, so the first is. Like everyone, they both alluded to is being tricked in. That sounds so <laughs> awful. But it, I guess the going with no preconceived notions of I, I get asked all the time when people come play at our store for the first time, like, what do I need? The answer is nothing. And I think that's one of the beauties, too, in general of joining Dungeons Dragons for the first time or even long term of to really get invested doesn't mean hundreds of dollars. It doesn't mean hours and hours of practice. It means just coming with the intent of having fun. So that's the first thing I would say is, look, there's no – the winner of Dungeons & Dragons is everyone because if the whole group makes it, then you make it. It's not the individual winner. So that would be step one. But other – there's game stores all over the United States that have um, options for people to come play, and it's actually a big initiative. They're on here with the movie coming out as well, Um, even in schools. That's another thing too. Um, That's actually how I got started um, back in – Sixth grade, uh, we had Strategy Gaming Club, Mm. and different schools have options of something like that too, um, where it's definitely broadened from Chess Club. It's more a little bit of everything. Yeah. Is, yeah, you, when you come in, just like I said, everyone takes care of everybody because it, you don't have to, it doesn't matter if you've been playing for years or if it's your first day, you can jump in day one and you would never know any different.
0: Yeah. And you, um, you, you're, so your store, you've got nights or days or whatever where people can come in and sit around a table and just play together. Yeah.
2: So our store is little really unique. So I said other stores do this. But what what's unique about ours is we host Dungeons & Dragons for basically over 100 people every week. And when I say host, it's not as simple as, yeah, you can go play at that table over there, which is – What other stores might do is with ours, it's very much we're the host. So we make sure we have the dungeon masters. We have the fancy painted miniature terrain. That's a big part of what Adriana does. And it's making sure that when you come up to play – we're ready for you and you can sit down. You don't need a whole group of people. You can just come as yourself or come with a group of people and we're ready to go.
0: Yeah, and Adriana, we we talked a little bit about this, but let's talk about whether it's inclusive because I think some people would be like, oh, this is for guys or maybe specifically, oh, this is for white guys. Like how inclusive has this game become?
3: Um, Especially like for me, it's more of like, do we have a spot at the table? Yes, sit down. (laughs) So – I haven't seen too much of an issue where, like, oh, no, you're not allowed here, or, like, it's not... It's a close community. It's it's very much the opposite, where everybody wants more players because it always makes the game more fun with the more voices, the more monsters that are on the table because of it. And it's definitely one of those just, like, the more people who have different opinions, the more fun the game becomes.
0: And, T.T., you know, there are some... Um really racial issues with this game. There's been controversy over the year. The man who created Dungeons & Dragons described himself as a biological determinist who believed that different races were biologically distinct and capable of different things. Did, did, have you ever, I mean, I know you haven't played for years, but do you think that, did that present some problems with the foundation of the game that the creators had to address or that, that gamers have to address going into it?
1: You know, I don't remember that being a problem in in my case growing up. And I think part of what what made that less of an issue for us is, again, it was the shared storytelling and the ability for everyone to kind of come together. I had a really diverse friend group. And we all knew and kind of thought about our characters as we were creating them. And we found ways to make those characters feel like us. You know, so we didn't ever have a problem with it. And again, i was kind of thinking about the Oscars last night and hearing Michelle Yell talk about the idea of, you know, yes, she's hoping that, you know, the young boys and girls out there that look like her are going to see what she did and know that they can do it too. I think for me as a kid growing up playing Dungeons and Dragons that was the dungeons and dragons world that i was in and my friend group we were we saw ourselves because we made we made characters that looked like us mm. and we made sure that those adventures kind of incorporated some of that worldview that we all had so it was it was the place where we could be ourselves mm.
0: Josh, is that one of the benefits of the game, that you can really bring yourself and your experiences into it because you're helping to write the story?
2: Yeah, so that – but then the beauty of it, because the game is so loose, it's not very strict rules, you can do the complete opposite. So I know many people that come in and, hi, I am – uh, a five-foot-tall girl, when I come to play, I'm playing an eight-foot-tall man half-orc. So it's like you, you can literally do whatever you want. So the whole point of it is to escape. So you can bring – like you mentioned, like mm-hmm. your perspective is, well, we have a little bit of ourselves and everyone. Some people are like – like she mentioned earlier, the rogue who wants to to take mm-hmm. the people stuff in the night. It's like, okay, well, obviously that's not acceptable <laughs> in real life. But, hey, we can have fun with do that in a, in a game because yeah. there's no consequence in something like that. So – um People can literally do whatever they want. That's the beauty of it. And when we, t- when someone sits down, go back, we were saying earlier, when you first come to play for the first time, you tell me what you want to play, and then we'll figure out what rules to follow to make that happen. It's not the other way around, where you're in a strict box and you have to play this role. It's You do whatever you want. We'll make the rules work for you.
0: Yeah. And Adriana, I think some people have the impression of Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons as still pretty patriarchal, that the guys are kind of in charge. Is that the case, or is that not the case?
3: I mean... Going back to, like, the archaic mentality of what D&D is usually based around, where it's, like, the king and the queen, there's still, like, some of that. But still, it doesn't matter if you're male or female or if you're playing the half-orc or you're playing the dragonborn. It's just you're playing what you want to play. You might kill the king. You might save the prince.
0: You don't know. Gotcha. So you can kind of tailor your, your, whatever you want your character to be. It doesn't matter if that reflects your own identity in real life.
3: Yeah. It's usually like really fun to swap characters and stuff, especially when we do like one shots where it doesn't transfer over to the next session you play. It's just
0: entirely different stuff. Yeah. We got an email from Christopher. He writes, I played D&D casually in the early 80s when COVID hit. A friend of mine in Atlanta put together a and d group every Friday night. We've been playing for three years now and it's really how to get through the pandemic as well as reconnect. Josh, what did you see with that? Did you, do you think the... um the pandemic through the lockdown brought people together online. But now I'm thinking they were are getting together more in person. Are you seeing this hunger for people to be able to come to a place where they can get together with other humans in a space and play a game?
2: Yeah, so going back to 2020, that's actually when we started the business was in 2020. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, everyone was literally itching, just like it, no matter what your hobby was, of like, I got to get out of this house. And a lot of people started playing online. And it got to the point where websites and all the things that existed couldn't handle it and it got out of control of like servers for crashing and stuff like that um but then yeah so no different than anything else once the doors got open everyone's like not COVID is gone but basically everyone's free to go back out again people are urging and like they want to be around other humans again and there's no better way to do that than dungeon dragons because it's the whole point is to get together with other people no different than people getting together to go to a restaurant or something else like that
0: yeah well, just real quickly, we're running out of time because you hear the music that's playing, but do you think Dungeons & Dragons will be the dominant one of these games for the long term? Can anything usurp it?
2: I don't think so. There's many other games like it, but, I mean, it's Dungeons & Dragons. That's just, it's the name. One people one it. There you go.
0: <laughs> well, I've been talking with Josh Courtney and Adriana Porciello, co-owners of Cerberus Den and film critic T.T. Stern-Enzi. Thank you all so much for your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. Our producer is Selena Reeder. Associate producer is Asiya Johnson. Technical director today is Stephen Baum. Thank you, Stephen. Rob Fetters composed our theme music. And if you miss our program live, you can subscribe to Cincinnati Edition wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lucy May. Thanks for listening.